You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Well, friends, welcome this evening. My name is Spencer, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, let me share with you some good news. This is from Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. And so tonight we are gathering to celebrate this night that the richest, most powerful man on earth decided that he wanted to know how powerful he was. And so therefore he wanted to know how many people he had control over. His name was Augustus. His title was Caesar. And as Caesar was power hungry and wanted to, to know the, the limit of his power, this couple gets caught up in this and this child is born in this backwater town of Bethlehem. And tonight we're not here because of the most powerful man on the earth, the Caesar, but rather we're here because of this child who will far eclipse the importance of the Caesar and all that he ever accomplished. In fact, this child will eclipse anyone and everyone who's ever been born. He will affect history more than anyone else who's ever been born. He will influence history and the course of events through history more than anyone else who's ever been born. The more will be written about this child than anyone else who's ever been born. In fact, we're going to decide to count off the years of our calendar based on his birth because his importance is so great. People around the world today and tomorrow are going to gather in churches and homes and places around the world to celebrate him speaking languages of every tribe, nation, and tongue to celebrate the goodness and the greatness of this child. And yet, think about this. This child, who's become the most important person who's ever lived, will have no reason to be important. He'll never amass wealth. He'll never lead an army. He'll never hold office. He'll never be a head of state. He'll, he'll not even see his mid-30s, and yet here we are tonight celebrating him. And so if there's anyone here tonight who thinks that he is irrelevant to their life, 
or thinks he might be just a myth or some sort of something that someone made up along the way somewhere, I strongly encourage you to rethink that position as billions of people, including myself, have had their lives changed by the man that this child became. And so tonight we're here to celebrate him. And when I think about his birth, I also can't help but think about how, what's the word, um, underwhelming it is. I mean, the king of kings comes and he's born and, and you would think that if the king of kings is, is going to come and be born, he would be born in palaces and, and he would be born in luxury and that he would uh, have his, his message spread throughout the earth. And yet here is this child, he's born into this obscure couple in this backwater town. He's, he's put in a food trough for a crib. He's wrapped in rags. And, and here we are still celebrating him. It's an, it's an underwhelming kind of story when you think about the impact that he has had in, in all of um, human in history. And it's not just maybe that's underwhelming, it's also that it's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit uncomfortable to see what he is and who he is and what he became and to see where he came from. It, it, it's an uncomfortable thing for us. And so for a lot of times when we're faced with the uncomfortable nature of, of the reality of his birth, uh, we love to change the details up a little bit to make it a little bit less uncomfortable. Uh, let me give you an example of this. Um, if you were to Google image just like baby Jesus, here's the kind of image that you might see come up um, in a, just a simple Google search kind of thing of baby Jesus. I did that this week. This is one of the images that came up just on Google's, Google search. And, and you'll see like, this is the manger scene. It's a, it's a barn. It's Mary and Joseph. There's a cow poking over the shoulder of Mary. So it's a barn. He's, he's in a manger, a food trough. Like it looks like the story that we celebrate. And then if you look a little bit closer, there's another detail in there. He's glowing. <laughs> Why is Jesus glowing? When did Jesus become radioactive? I've read Luke 2 many, many, many times, and I've never seen where that detail comes up, and yet somewhere along the lines, we like start to do this, and you see artwork that's based on the first Christmas, and usually Jesus is glowing, or there's like a halo around his head, or sometimes you'll see beams of light shooting out from his body, and I wonder, like, when did this start to happen? In my house, we have a nativity scene. I bet some of you have nativity scenes as well. When my children were little, like we've had to put it up because when they were really little, they would start to play with all of the characters and Mary became like Princess Mary. And, and so we've had to put it up on a higher shelf now, but, but we have a nativity scene. And, and uh, again, if you were to like Google search nativity scene, or if you were to look at a basic nativity scene, oftentimes Jesus, baby Jesus from nativity scene would look something like this. This is a very, very typical kind of nativity scene that you might see of baby Jesus so peaceful and serene, reaching out to bless the world. Now I have three children. I've seen three children be born. Maybe you have more children, maybe you have more experience with babies than I do, but I gotta tell you, in my experience with three babies, not once did any of them glow. None of them were so serene as to know their life's purpose as an infant, just waiting to bless the world. No, this isn't how reality is at all. And when we read this story, what we see is this real couple in a real place in real time with this baby who's a real child and, and acting like a real child would act. And, and this is the, the message that we have at Christmas. And so for some reason, we want to like gloss over all of those details and make Jesus into like this glowing figure that's always so peaceful and serene. And I wonder why do we do that? Why do we feel like we need to like make the story better? 
Well, why do we feel like we need to change these details up and, and, and make Jesus look like this? And, and why is it that if you look at basically any artwork from, from the first uh, Christmas, it always looks like this? Why is that? Well, I, I don't I have an answer, but I have a, I have a theory. And, and my theory is it's because we're uncomfortable with it. We're uncomfortable with the idea that Jesus came as a real place at a real time and that he came to a real family as a real child. And we're uncomfortable with it because the message of Christmas is somewhat startling. It's the message that God is with us. And it's far easier to think of God as somewhere else. Like God is up in heaven, God is far away, God is this old man in the clouds who maybe hears my prayers every once in a while but chooses not to answer them. Like this is who God is, but the message of Christmas is that he's close that he's near, and, and that he's with us. This is the whole message that we celebrate. This is, this is why we have the celebration beginning, that God is with us, and that is an uncomfortable thought. So, so it raises a profound theological question, and it's a question that theologians wrestle with all the time, and it's a basic question of this. Why would God, the creator of all things, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. Why would God, the one who is wrapped in eternal glory, why would God, who is perfect in his existence, why would God choose to be born in, in flesh and to be born in such a circumstances like this where, where it's in poverty and obscurity, where, where shepherds are the people who come and share the good news. And in that culture, shepherds are nothing more than outcasts and drifters. And, and yet these, this is the birth announcement. It's not luxury. It's not, it's not a power. It's, it's, not, it's not authority. It's, it's this obscurity and then this, and then this poverty. So why would God want to be born in that kind of way? About four decades after the birth of Jesus, there will be a man who travels around uh, the known world. His name is Paul, and his own life has been impacted by Jesus. And he starts churches and tells people uh, wherever he can, whenever he can, about the good news of what Jesus can do. And, and in one place, Paul, in, in a letter that he writes, which becomes the book of the Bible, he describes the character of this God who was born in a barn and then died on a cross. And, and in Paul's words, the, the character of God um, can be described like this. This is what God is like. This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul wrote, he says, God chose the foolish things of this world. Like that sounds like the manger scene, the foolish things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the, the lowly things of this world and the despised things. It sounds like a food trough. He chose the things that are not, like, it sounds like poverty. He did these things to nullify the, the things that are. That God sees things totally different than us. Or you think about the teachings of Jesus, how Jesus constantly talked about how the greatest in the world are actually the least. How, how the way towards, towards um, to be exalted is to, is to find humility and to become a leader is to, to be a servant. And this is what like the whole way of Jesus is wrapped up in this. And when you start to piece together the teachings of Jesus and what we read in the Bible from Paul and other places, you begin to see a picture that begins to emerge. That the reason that God was born in this way, in this couple in this real place in real time in this really difficult situation is, is is very simple this that God is really with us not just with us when life is easy and good and successful not just like God's not just interested in, in those of us who just go from success to success to success in life God's not just interested in those of us who who seem to have it all together and and, and already are living a good life that that's not the message here the message rather that is that God is with us all of us in, in real life, because here's the truth about real life that we don't want to confront very often. Real life is often disappointing. Real life is often painful. Real life is often a struggle. Real life is often lonely. 
Real life is often full of insecurities. Real life is often full of all kinds of doubts, all kinds of questions, and less certainty than you wish you had. That's what real life is like. And of course, God had to be born in this hard, difficult way because, because he's come to meet with us in those real places, not in just the easy ways and the victories of life, but rather in our real lives, in real time, in real places with who we really are. This is the good news of Christmas, that God is really with us, not just in the victories, but also in the defeats, not just in the highs, but also in the lows, that God is with us in our actual, in our real lives. This is the good news of Christmas, that God is with us. The followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the Bible, this is what they're gonna emphasize when they start to tell about the birth of Jesus. Matthew, for instance, was somebody whose life was radically changed when he met Jesus. And when Matthew describes the birth of Jesus, this is what he emphasizes, that God is with us. Here's what he wrote, Matthew chapter one, verse 23. He quotes from the prophet Isaiah and applies it to Jesus. And he says this, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which is a Hebrew word that means God with us. This is the significance of Jesus, that God is with us. Another follower of Jesus, John, will write in the book that he writes, John chapter one, verse 14, he will say this, he'll say the word, that is Jesus, became flesh and, and he made his dwelling among us. He'll say, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. A famous paraphrase of this same verse says it like this a bit more bluntly, I love this paraphrase. Just simply says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God is with us. And friends, this is good news. This is good news for anyone who has ever wondered if God had given up on them. This is good news for anyone who's ever struggled with more questions than certainties. This is good news for, for anyone who has struggled through isolation or loneliness. This is good news for anyone who wondered that if they, when they gave up on God, did God give up on them? This is good news for all of us in our real life for who we really are. This is good news for what God can do in us. This is good news that he has come, that he is with us, and that what he wants for us, for you and for me, is he wants to know us. He wants relationship with us. He wants to know you and to walk with you. And he wants you to know him and to walk with him. He wants to bless your life and for goodness to, to be poured out in your life. He wants you to have purpose and meaning and direction, which is what you find in a relationship with him. This is what he wants to do. This is why he's come, that, that we might be with him and, and him with us. This is the whole, the whole purpose. One of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, he describes the, the significance of, uh, of God being born in this way. And I just love how he describes this. I want to offer this to you this evening because this is a, an image that has stayed in my brain for years as I've, as I've thought about the significance of Christmas. But here's what Eugene Peterson writes. He says, God gets down on his knees among us. Like that's what it means for God to be made flesh. Is that God gets down on his knees among us. He gets on our level and he shares himself with us. He's not far away. He's like, he's right here. He's with us. He does not reside afar off and send us diplomatic messages. He kneels among us. And that posture is characteristic of God. The discovery and realization of this is what defines what we know of God as good news. God shares himself generously and graciously. God enters into our need. He anticipates our goals. He gets into our skin and understands us better than we do ourselves. Let me say this differently. God gets you. God knows you. God understands you. 
And God loves you. This is the good news of God with us. And so tonight, uh, you know, I don't know why you're here. There's lots of reasons you could be here tonight. Uh, maybe this is your church and you can't imagine not coming to worship on Christmas Eve and, and, and you're here for that reason. Or, or maybe someone invited you tonight and you decided to take a chance and try out church. Maybe again for the first time. Maybe some of you are here because your mother-in-law told you that you had to come tonight. I, I don't know why you're here. But for whatever reason you're here, um, I, I want to offer you a simple, just a simple word of good news. That God loves you that he wants to know you. He wants to walk with you and he wants you to trust him. And this is a word for anybody here, whether you've been coming to church for decades or whether this is a new thing for you and you're not very close to God right now, I just, I wanna offer you this word that he wants to walk with you. He wants relationship with you, he wants to lead you. He wants to bless you. He wants to pour out his goodness in your life. This is what he wants to do. And so tonight, I just want to offer an invitation that if you're here tonight and, and this is like a new thing for you, or maybe this is a thing that, that you just, you know, you need to make some changes in your life. And, and you've been thinking about this even for some time. Let tonight be a time where you turn back to him. You don't go your own way, but rather you begin to trust him because he is with you. He is for you. He wants to bless you and walk with you. And so maybe for you, that means there needs to be some changes. Maybe for you, you just need to open your life and, and, and understand that even in the midst of skepticism, even in the midst of doubts, even in the midst of struggles or pains or secrets, whatever you have, that you can still trust him. And so tonight we're going to celebrate how we can trust him and this invitation that he has given to us because we're going to share a meal together. And we don't just celebrate tonight that this baby was born, but we celebrate the life that this baby became, the man that he became, the life that he lived and what he accomplished for us. And so tonight we're gonna to take bread and we're gonna break bread and we're gonna share a meal of juice and bread together to remind ourselves and to experience the goodness of God poured out in our life. You see the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified, sometimes called the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and he told his disciples to take and eat this in remembrance of him, to remember him as he did this. And as he was talking about his broken body, he was describing the cross. He was describing how his body would be broken for other people. And as the supper went on, Jesus took a cup of, of wine. We use juice, uh, but Jesus took a cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples in the same way and said, take and drink this, all of you, and remember me. And he said that the wine represented his blood that was gonna be shed on the cross. And he said that his blood, this is the word he used, is a new covenant, a promise, a promise that he is with you, that he forgives you, that he can give you new life. This is the promise, the certainty that you can have is what he has done for you. And so tonight you're gonna to be invited to come and experience this, to celebrate this and to remember and be reminded of the good news that we have tonight that God is with us. He wants to know us and walk with us, to bless us and provide for us. This is what he wants to do and I just wanna encourage you to open your heart, your life, your mind to the reality that he can do in you new things. Let's pray together before we come and receive this meal. And so Lord, tonight I give you thanks for the gift of your son that's been given to us, that has changed our life, has changed our world, the most important person who's ever been born has been born for us as a gift. 
And so tonight, in the humility of those who aren't worthy, we just, we just want to say thank you. For anyone here this evening who, who may be far from God or not walking in the place that they wish they were, may tonight be a chance for them to return to you or maybe come to you for the first time with a simple prayer. Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and lead my life? And so God, tonight, would you pour out your spirit on us and these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be the body of Christ who's been redeemed by your blood. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.